Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. Hey there, Corey. How's it going? Busy, busy, busy as ever. How about you? Doing pretty good. Yep, same here, same here. And we got a lot on our plate this week. We do. Like 50 tabs rolling right now. We got tons <laughs> of updates to cover. Yeah, we do. We do. So we're going to talk about WorldCoin and World ID powered by AI. Plus Elon's X, which is the sort of all-in-one place, not just for social media, but for payments and banking too, also pe- powered by AI. Mm-hmm. Then we'll, we'll get into FedNow and how it is live in 35 banks now, as well as several climate-related topics on blackouts, electric vehicles, and some other things. Some really important things, like a whole new law they're going to try and roll out so we can see where they're going with this. Yep, yep. Got to give everybody a heads up. Then we'll kind of recap some House hearings this week, several House hearings that that were, you know, had some disclosures in them. And we'll close out with Hunter Biden's shady plea deal. So. Good Lord. All right, rock and roll. Where are we starting? I'm just going to let you guide me through this because I have about a dozen tabs here that I'm going to hit on. So you tell me when I'm up. (laughs) All right. All right. First up, we'll talk about WorldCoin and World ID. How does that sound to you? Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this week, Sam Altman of OpenAI and ChatGPT fame. Well, he just launched his latest plan to save the world with what he calls a world coin and world ID. His partner, the CEO, says, hey, you know what? A global form of ID is coming, whether you like it or not. So uh, we're getting in the game. Okay, so this world coin is yet another cryptocurrency. But this one is a little bit different with this new crypto you also get a world ID. So this is a digital ID. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the youngins that, love this. Right, right. That will be used, this this digital ID will be used not just to access your wor- world coin wallet, but the company envisions your world ID will be used to access virtually anything digital. So do you want uh, it? Do you want to access the internet? Well, you just need to use your world ID to get access. Right. Uh, how about voting? Well, a world ID will prove your identity. And <laughs> as we've just said, if you want to access your bank account. Well, of course. So you just need to use your world ID to prove who you are. So, you know, all for well, safety. World ID being, isn't it an iris scan? Yep. I was just about to get into that. Sorry. No, no, that's all good. That's all good. Perfect segue. So how does this WorldCoin and and World ID work? Well, you just have to schedule an appointment at any one of their 35, their locations in 35 cities across Hmm. 20 countries, but not in the U.S. currently. Hmm. Well, that's because, you know, uh, the U.S. is cracking down on crypto. So <laughs> but we'll get into a little bit more of that uh, in a minute. But by the way, P.S., uh, Sam Bankman-Fried helped to fund this little WorldCoin project. Anyways. Don't figure. 
Yes. And so um, you just sit in front. Once you schedule an appointment, you know, with WorldCoin at any one of their locations across the world, you just sit in front of their bowling ball sized silver orb. Oh, isn't that fancy? Yes. And like so a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. And so I like to call it the eye of Sauron. So <laughs> the eye of Sauron orb will scan your biometric <laughs> data from your eyeball and generate the, a unique world ID for you. And then all you have to do now is download the WorldCoin app to your phone and you automatically receive free WorldCoin in your digital wallet. Isn't that simple? Oh, yeah. Sounds great, it's right? It's always enticing. <laughs> I mean, the creep factor of this WorldCoin scam is off the charts. So how do they expect people to, you know, all over the planet to sign up for this thing? Well, as I said, they're doling out free fake money world coins. And when they were piloting it last year, they were giving people real money uh, to give away their biometric data. And this was happening in poor countries, of course. Right. So they've gotten 2 million people to sign on so far. God. Yeah, mostly from third world countries, and they have big plans to sign up millions or even billions more people. But here's the key selling point. WorldCoin is promising a lot more than just a free WorldCoin for signing up. They're promising a future of universal basic income for all their members. You and don't what say. <laughs> right. that one off. Yeah. So here's what they claim. They claim that AI is going to do all the work for us and make all the money in the whole world. And all we have to do is just sit back. We don't have to work or anything. We just sit back and get a piece of the free money every month. So it's they're pretty, essentially. <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild seeing what's going on in Hollywood right now, isn't it? Yeah. With, with the AI and, and the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's this is kind of a selling point. It's like, look, we know AI is taking all the jobs away, but mm -hmm. AI can actually help to make money and then you just get a free universal basic income. So don't worry about how we just took your job away because over at OpenAI, we're creating the AI that's taking your jobs away. But over at WorldCoin, we're creating a digital ID system where we promise to give you a universal basic income because we stole your job. Right. It just right? makes me wonder, like, no, you know, none of us really care for how much many people in Hollywood, but, but nonetheless, it's still insane and, and uh, unfair, obviously, and unrealistic. And, but you got to wonder what where this is going to take their minds now that it's now that it's hitting home you know what i mean right 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 like, yeah. hollywood, hollywood was all in on this kind of stuff on until everything. It, it started hurting their wallets right <laughs> yeah yep. yeah but so this this whole scam is essentially promising to privatize global a global welfare system where no one's going to be working everyone gets free money but you need to realize, you know, nothing's really privatized anymore, right? I mean, corporations do the bidding of the globalists through these so-called, you know, public-private partnerships, right? Right. Yeah. 
And so Sam, Sam Altman's world coin and world uh, ID, it, it just really strikingly aligns with other projects we've seen coming out of the World Bank, who does, you know, these sort of biometric digital IDs for poor people in exchange for food. You want your food? You want your free food? You yeah. know, you just have to have your digital ID and your biometrics, right? Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, the UN, the BIS, the WHO, they've all got, you know, all these globalist organizations are doing strikingly similar things as to what, you know, Sam Altman over at WorldCoin is doing. And so to me, this just looks like yet another pilot for the globalists plan that would later just be piggybacked or integrated right. into, say, like their global unified ledger, their digital And, and it would be it would be a harder sell here to, to the general public. However... There are a lot of people, in particular the younger generation as well, that just want the convenience and they're just lazy. And Or you've got the group of people that say, I don't care. I don't care anymore. They already have everything. Let them just, let them just um, you know, spy on me all they want. I'm not doing anything wrong. And, and it's that attitude that's really screwing us. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's the um, always the exchange of um, convenience and safety for freedom. So so what we're taking away your away your privacy. So what mm-hmm. we're going to use this later to basically restrict your freedoms. Right. But for the the immediacy of security and convenience, you know, that's what you're exchanging. Right there. Yeah. And, and money, a little a little bit of world coin in your digital wallet or whatever. Right. right. You know, but along those lines, um, you know, I saw this headline here. It says government wants to control your digital ID. And I was so I was kind of reading through this article and it's all about how governments are launching digital IDs and, you know, using, say, driver's licenses in states like Colorado, turning those into digital IDs. And yes, that's all true, but the deception in articles like this are like, well, you know, if we privatize, you know, the (laughs) digital ID and we used decentralized networks, Mm -hmm. you know, that this article is claiming, you know, that that things would be just so much safer if we did it that way. Privatized means the globalists in the end. Because even if someone, you know, there was a legitimate solid source out there, they would end up being bought out or regulations would be put on them and shut them down. Or it's just really one another arm of these globalist organizations through public private partnerships, which they always talk about. Okay, like they're not decentralized. Right. Like they're not hiding that these corporations are captured. And then you're just an an extension of these, you know, these globalist efforts. Right. Right. Yeah. And that kind of um, leads into um, what's happening over at Twitter which I guess we should call X now. Well, wait, wait. What about uh, SBF? What happened there? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. The, the, <laughs> speaking uh. of crypto and how, you know, they're so-called cracking down on crypto lately. Well, why don't you give us a qu- quick update on SBF? Oh, I don't even have it pulled up here. But basically, the uh, wonderful Department of Justice has dropped all campaign finance charges against Sam Bankman-Fried, founder of FTX, which is not a shocker to most of us. Right, no. No, because see, what they want is they want to be able to 
um, present CBDCs without having competitors such as crypto, right? But yeah. what they don't want is to expose all of the compromised politicians that took money and, you know, that SBF siphoned money off to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, okay. So let's move over to Twitter because we got a ton of stuff to get through. Um, before we roll this, let me just read from the wonderful WFCEO of Twitter, now X, who put out this little thread saying, <clears throat> it's an exceptionally rare thing in life or in business that you get a second chance to make another big impression. Twitter made one massive impression and changed the way we communicate. Now X will go further, transforming the global town square. X is the future state of unlimited interactivity centered in audio, video, messaging, payments, banking, creating a global marketplace for ideas, goods, services, and opportunities. Powered by AI, X will connect us all in ways we are just beginning to imagine. For years, fans and critics alike have pushed Twitter to dream bigger, to innovate faster, and to fulfill our great potential. X will do that and more. We've already started to see X take shape over the past eight months through our rapid feature launches, but we're just getting started. There's absolutely no limit to this transformation. X will be the platform that can deliver, well, everything. Elon Musk and I are looking forward to working with our teams and every single one of our partners to bring X to the world. And what kills me is, <laughs> it's like I just saw, was it, I don't know, probably middle of the night, there were people saying we need to boycott Etsy or Etsy. I don't even know the right way to pronounce it because they were uh, banning some shirts against someone. And, and it, you know, it was rightful to say that, but uh, it was about someone who was detransitioning. I can't think of her name right now. And uh, so they were banning it. And so then what do people do? Everyone jumps to Twitter and says, oh, Elon, please save us. You need to create a marketplace like this. And I'm sure half of them are bots, but it's this constant, this constant, you know, people buy into the check marks, giving up their, their digital, their financial information. So that was a great test pilot. And now they're going to roll into this banking and you can bet your ass this is all going to eventually tie into the tokenization and the CBDCs and all of it that we discussed in last week's podcast. And so Greg Reese, as always, did a brilliant five minute video that we're actually going to roll the whole thing um, because for anyone who's not aware by now of Elon Musk's dealings and uh, background, they really need to be because he is with the globalists, and I've been warning about this for a long time. So let's let's just go ahead and roll this real quick, unless you want to add to that. Yeah, just one quick thing. Isn't the CEO like super woke? Like I can't remember her background exactly, but it was like she's all in on the woke shit. Oh right? yeah, and I believe she was connected in with the WEF at some point too. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not a red flag at all. <laughs> no. All right, here we go. Elon Musk announced over a year ago that he planned to convert Twitter into an everything app, like China's WeChat, an app to do everything, including online banking and finance. 
Last April, Musk announced that Twitter Incorporated has been renamed to X Corporation. He created a new artificial intelligence company known as X.AI, and he partnered with eToro for stock and crypto exchange. The media would have you believe that Elon Musk is an independent billionaire genius whose dream is to revolutionize banking. But this story is demonstrably false. The facts tell us that Elon Musk is a front man for the same old, same old. But because he says there are only two genders, he has gained the trust of a radicalized people in a time of war without ever having to explain his lies. Musk says he grew up poor, but his family was rich with emeralds and had a history of abuse and witchcraft, telltale signs of multi-generational mind control. Musk received tens of thousands of dollars from his parents to launch his first business venture, a digital phone book known as Zip2. Outside coders were hired to write the entire thing because Elon couldn't code. Zip2 sold for millions and went nowhere, but Elon made $22 million and with the help of the mainstream media, launched his new persona as a quirky pop star genius. He then acquired X.com and announced he would create an online bank known as X. He partnered with banking experts who all left the company after accusing Elon of lying to the media about the product, which is all he did. Elon Musk is believed to have co-founded PayPal. This is false. In 2000, Musk sold his failing X.com business to Confinity, a company founded in 1998 by Peter Thiel and Max Levkin. All Musk reportedly did there was insist on changing the company's name to X. He was forced out, but somehow managed to get them to agree in writing to remove all references to founders from the company website. Musk made nearly 200 million off the sale of PayPal, a company that he contributed nothing to, and then used that money, along with the illusion of being a successful businessman co-founder, to buy his way into Tesla. Tesla Motors was founded in 2003 by Mark Tarpening and Martin Eberhard, who developed the Tesla Roadster. When Tesla accepted millions from Elon, it came with the condition that he be named chairman of the company. Even though he only contributed money, Musk was unable to hide his anger that the media wasn't giving him credit for Tesla Motors. And after forcing Eberhard out of the company, he rewrote their history to have himself listed as an original co-founder. The obvious fake persona of a billionaire quirky genius has worked so well that few even question SpaceX. The official story is that Elon, who has absolutely no experience with rocket science, came up with the idea for SpaceX while traveling to Russia with the CIA's Michael Griffin of InQtel. Shortly after this conversation, Griffin was made administrator of NASA, where he launched the COTS program that privatized NASA's rocket program and awarded $278 million to SpaceX, who had never made or flown any rockets. Musk then partnered with rocket engineer Tom Mueller, who went on to produce rocket technology that has clearly been developed for years in the private sectors of the military-industrial complex. Elon's companies have received billions in government subsidies over the last two decades, money that was later spent on the purchase of Twitter where he immediately began the process of turning it into an everything app with its own banking system. 
or rather, the ruling class cabal that pulls his strings is turning Twitter into an everything app with its own banking system. And that should be alarming. But he says there are only two genders, and families are good, and people love a hero. They don't need to chip you to control you. We already have iris scanners and palm scanners. A cashless society will do the job. And for many, Elon's X will be preferable to Amazon's palm scanners. The illusion of choice will make your financial enslavement less painful. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. I think the illusion of choice was a great way to sum that up, don't you? Yeah, agree. And I have to say, um, it gives you a lot to think about because, you know, I really hadn't dug into Elon a lot, but mm -hmm. I will say that there's definitely a lot of red flags. Obviously, my biggest issue with Elon Musk was the brain computer interface company. I know how that has to play into their future plans for, you know, enslaving us. Um, and so, and then I've always, that I've always kind of thought of Elon Musk, like, you know, how did he rise to become this, this <laughs> multi-billionaire? It reminds me a lot like of, um, of Bill Gates, you know, having mm -hmm. zero expertise in anything, but suddenly you're a billionaire with these, you know, <laughs> you just get put into these positions, right? Yeah. Strategically put into these positions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully that was enlightening for some folks and they learned a little bit there because this is, you know, it's like I say, if you use their, their platforms and their devices against them, because let's face it, they're everywhere. Um, that's, that's one thing. That's strategic. That's trying to uh, kind of take back the narrative and, and, and wake people up. But Buying into this hook, line, and sinker and thinking he's some sort of savior and asking him to continue building more and more out and buying the little check marks and just all of it is just playing right into their hand. Yeah, agree. Agree. Yeah, definitely yeah. some red flags there. People need to pay attention. Yeah. Okay, what's up next? All right. So kind of oh, talking yeah. along the same lines of all the financial stuff. Uh, you have this segment about Fed now, kind of what the status is of it and how that plays into all of it. Yeah. And Miriam had posted this perfect little 50 second clip um, where I apologize, but I don't know his name, um, kind of breaks this down in a nutshell. And then I'll get into the because uh, this is now officially launched. Right. So right. Let's it's roll the backbone. this real quick. Hmm? It's the backbone of their digital payment you know, system that they're trying yeah. to install. Yeah. Yeah. You need to say goodbye to Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, and Cash App because FedNow is coming and you don't have a choice. FedNow is a payment service by the government coming out in July that your bank will have to sign up for, which is the first step to make the dollar digital. Now, how does this work? Well, if you buy something on Amazon, your money won't go directly to Amazon anymore. It will first go through the Fed's account and then go to Amazon. This means the government will know everything you use your money for, and if they want to, they can reject any purchase you make, take money out whenever and decide what you can and can't spend your money on. Yes, it will be faster for payments to settle, easier to get stimulus, and lowers costs that you have to pay to your banks, but your privacy is gone. So is it truly worth it? And guess what? You don't even have a choice to participate or not. Our banks are the ones who will decide for us. So follow me to stay tuned on the final details before it
Okay, so I just want to point out a couple things. If you go over to the article by Daisy Luther, uh, so FedNow is live at 35 banks. So, so far, 35 banks have signed up as early adopters of FedNow, including JP Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, no surprise, but notably not including Citibank or Bank of America. That is kind of surprising. Uh, that number is rather lower than the Fed led us to believe as recently as uh, June. The U.S. Treasury has also signed up as an early adopter of FedNow. Some 353 banks and credit unions have signed up for RTP. In order to use either service, both the sending and the receiving bank need to be signed up for the system. So let me just scroll down here. Through financial institutions participating in the FedNow service, businesses and individuals will be able to send and receive instant payments at any time of day, and recipients will have full access to funds immediately, giving them greater flexibility to manage their money and make time-sensitive payments. Access will be provided through the Federal Reserve's FedLine network, which serves more than 10,000 financial institutions directly or through their agents. Uh, so what she says is she says, what, but what truly makes me worried is that since FedNow is live, this is a soft way to move us all over into using a federal money transfer system that could easily be the platform for the implementation of CBDCs, the digital dollar that could end freedom as we know it. Please note that <clears throat> what we have with FedNow is not a CBDC. It is just a payment gateway. So good points made by her there. Um, and, and this just follows along with what we've been saying, you know, we've been talking about for years and we're just trying to bring people up to speed. We, I think we were talking about fed now. Oh my gosh. I don't remember the day I found that it was literally, they had posted it that day and I was looking for something else and I found it. And I remember shooting it off to Catherine. I'm like, have you seen this? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so I, I think it is important to clarify that it is not a CBDC, but it is kind of the backbone or the the, the what the, the gateway for mm -hmm. CBDCs. And just as we were talking about last week about how the Bank for International Settlements has this big grandiose plan of their you know global unified ledger, um, and this plays into it. Um, this is like one tiny part piece of the puzzle. Um, we talked about last week how they are going to be rolling things out incrementally. Um, and it's exactly what this article says here of how they're trying to put our toes in the water, right? Mm -hmm. To get us used to it and desensitized to it yeah. um, to where we barely even notice it. And we're so hooked on the system before it actually goes all dystopian, right? They're going to sell you on the features, which is speed and convenience. Well, not only that, I could see a bank. So let's say you have um, where they work it through your current debit cards that you already have and the bank's already, you know, got this locked in and you simply get an email or something in the mail with this tiny little disclaimer um, about our terms of service and how we're now using this gateway through FedNow. But this is great because it means that everything's going to move faster and it'll be like a little freaking belief that people won't even realize just got switched over. Right. I, I People won't even notice because it happens on the mm -hmm. back end. It happens between your bank and the Federal Reserve before your transaction ends up at whatever it is that you ended up buying. Right. Right. 
And before you know it, everything's tokenized mm -hmm. and assigned. <laughs> so the people don't even know that this is actually happening. And that's the way they'd prefer it. Yeah. <laughs> Sneaky slimy. Yeah, and um, as George Gammon had noted in that uh, video that he had did on the BIS report that we talked about a bit last week, is that they may not even use the word CBDC or central bank digital currency. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they, they're probably going to rebrand it um, so that because that has such a negative connotation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. They're good at that. Yeah. All yeah. right. So moving on to kind of the next group of topics, which is climate related. I know that we had a few things that on your list of, to talk about, starting yeah. with this one right here, which it came out last week, um, just after we had recorded and it would have been yep. perfect. I was like, conversation would have been perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to read some key points from this. And here's the thing. I got to say, kudos to them. This was brilliantly done. And the reason I say that is because they they took, okay, so the title is, Would an Occasional Blackout Help Solve Climate Change? I mean, what a headline to get it to go viral, <laughs> right? right? They knew this was going to go viral. And so what this is really about, it's really not about the blackouts. That's just the fear tactic. What this is really about is getting people on board with the need to move forward with clean energy as fast as possible, because if not, they might decide that we're going to have to do these blackouts, but that's, but that's not really what's going to happen. So they just, they just, it, the whole thing is fear-based. And if you read the entire article, you can, you know, you get the gist of it all. So, but I'm just going to highlight some key points here um, just to show what they really are pushing in this. So they say, uh, what's more important, keeping the lights on 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, or solving the climate crisis? And I'm going to skip through a bunch of this because they get into the whole California case and the Sierra Club case and all this stuff going on. And that's all just distractions and fear tactics leading into what they really want to push. So they say again and again, I found myself, well, they, the, the author of this, who is the author of this? Sammy Roth. Don't know who that is. Uh, Los Angeles Times. So again and again, I found myself asking, would it be easier and less expensive to limit climate change and its deadly combination of worsening heat, fire, and drought and food if we were willing to live with the occasional blackout? And it's in bold. Let's scare everyone. Okay, but we need to move towards cleaner energy, but we can't do it fast enough. So... But absent major breakthroughs in carbon capture technology, we'll eventually need to shutter most, if not all, of those gas plants to avoid disastrous temperature jumps. Could we get started ditching gas sooner and save some money by accepting a few more blackouts for the next few years? And he interviews different people and they give their opinions and, well, no, that could kill some people. And yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah, good idea. Think yeah oh my it's gosh not, one says it's not really about keeping the lights on it's about keeping people alive so so then we move into the whole solar and wind and we need to do away with fossil fuels but there needs to be a balance so here's here's the guts here's what it's really leading to we should do everything we can as a society to add solar panels wind turbines and all kinds of energy storage to the grid as fast as possible 
to the extent those additions allow the closure of fossil fueled power plants, awesome, the sooner the better. But closing them too soon could bring its own kind of disaster. After reporting on clean energy for most of the last decade, I've increasingly come to the conclusion that solving climate change will require sacrifices, even if only small ones, for the sake of the greater good. Those might include lifestyle changes, such as driving less or eating less meat. They might also include accepting that large-scale solar farms will destroy some wildlife habitat and that rooftop solar panels, despite their higher cost, have an important role to play in cleaning up the grid. So this is what this is really getting to. We don't really want to push the blackouts. We just want you to sacrifice by not eating meat, driving less, getting your EVs. And then there's, I think I have Look at this poor woman, this poor elderly woman wearing a mask (laughs) and trying to cool off in the freaking LA heat because she thinks that she can't use her air conditioner. This is the psychological warfare in the same way that he's saying, oh, you got, it's for the greater good. We heard this crap. We heard this Mm -hmm. crap about how we all had to be locked down, how our children couldn't go to school, how we all had to wear these absurd, ridiculous masks that never did anything. How we all had to get gene therapies, experimental gene therapies for the greater good. And all of that was sinister. And none of that was helpful whatsoever, whatsoever at all. Absolutely. It's the same kind of crap. We have to give up our energy for the greater good. We have to let this poor old woman sit outside her house with a freaking fan and a mask on her face for the greater good. Right, right. This and that's what this is that's what this is leading to is this is where they're trying to get people to uh bend to start to make these sacrifices. And so um they say here, nearly everyone I interviewed for this story, for instance, highlighted the value of flexible demand programs. So be looking for those buzzwords coming soon. That shift electricity use away from the highest demand times. Families comfortable with 81 degree indoor temperatures, for instance, could get paid to turn up the thermostat a few degrees on the hottest evenings. People with electric cars could be incentivized to charge at a lower cost overnight. Big factories could be required to cut back during stressful moments on the grid. And that we need to get tens of millions of electric vehicles on the road and tens of millions of electric heat pumps in people's homes. So this is the meat of it. This is what this is really about. It's not about the blackouts. That's just the fear tactic to get you to do these other things. Right. Of course. Which which is a, a perfect lead into, I don't know if you had another one after this, but if, if we roll over to the new Biden alert, it, it's all of this. <clears throat> rolling out simultaneously is not by coincidence. So I see this tweet go out um, by the press secretary today about this alert. And uh, so the Biden admin plans the first ever hazard alert for heat as record-breaking high temperatures are forecast across the nation. President Biden has instructed the Department of Labor to issue the alert and raise awareness that workers have heat-related protection under federal law. The Biden administration will provide information related to those protections to help ensure that workers are aware of those rights, including protections against retaliation, and highlight actions by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to protect workers. 
For years, heat has been, this is a quote, for years, heat has been the number one cause of weather-related deaths in America. And workers, including, pay attention, farm workers, farmers, firefighters, and construction workers are disproportionately impacted by extreme heat. Since 2011, more than 400 workers have died due to environmental heat exposure and thousands more are hospitalized every year. The hazard alert will reaffirm that workers have heat-related protection under federal law. So they're saying 400 since 2011, but they're saying workers. They're not saying 400 people. So I don't know where those numbers came from because I was looking up totally different numbers because obviously tornadoes kind of outdoes that. But uh, they're saying 400 since 2011, but they're going to make a whole new law on this. So let me just scroll down past all the nonsense. Um, and get to the key point here. So of course, they're attributing the heat wave to a climate crisis. In addition to the hazard alert, the Labor Department will increase enforcement of heat safety violations and conduct conduct additional inspections in high-risk industries, hmm, like construction and agriculture, as OSHA works on creating a national standard for workplace heat safety rules. The Biden administration is also spending up to $7 million from the Inflation Reduction Act, which that name just cracks me up, to improve weather forecasts and $150 million from the bipartisan infrastructure law to expand water storage and drought-prone areas of California, Colorado, and Washington. Okay, good for the water. Not so much the whole weather forecast because we know where that's going. Right, right. Because so, they're going to make everything, all of those weather forecasts all be completely red. Like it's all dude, this burning is really, on fire. Really, <laughs> this is really alarming to me. I mean, this is... Well, they're, yeah. I, they're going to be setting regulations. There's going to be more inspections. They're highlighting the fact that agriculture, farmers, and farming is a big key element to this. Right. Um, and then they're giving union workers an out to be able to say, sorry, I'm not working today. Heat index. So, you know, your road that needs to be built, it, it's just going to have to wait. It's right. another way to slow down the economy in key sectors of farming, construction, yeah, and then good point on the emergency, road. That even my mind. emergency services. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And putting in, you know, who knows what kind of regulations and safety stuff that they're going to put in that could be not cost effective to the smaller, um, smaller egg and farming, you know, it's just and and so my question is, because I don't know a whole heck of a lot about law and how this works. Can they just do this? I mean, can they just can they just create this? Doesn't Congress need to be involved? I mean, technically, in the Constitution, they can't be creating any of this. But, you know, so I guess I answered my own question. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And a constitutional republic, which is what we're supposed to have. Well, but, you know, that's that's all changed now. We just issue executive orders and then and through lawfare, battle it out on whether it's constitutional or not. Oh, yeah. well, we continue the, the, the to do what fear we want. porn coming out around the heat waves and climate and then saying that there's 
you know, these record highs. But if you go back and you look, it, these are not record highs. And so it, it's just lie after lie after lie and fear porn. And I know you you had a great little short UN clip. Um, that we got a roll just, <laughs> yes. just to highlight the level of fear porn we're talking about. Corey, newsflash. Hmm. According to the UN, the world, you know, the, the world isn't just going through global warming. It's it's boiling now, Corey. It's it is boiling. boiling. Then we're all in the pot. Here we go. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Leaders must lead. Humans are to blame. You gotta love that. It just shows you how desperate they're getting, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. they are absolutely losing, absolutely losing control of the narrative. Oh, and yeah. They are lashing out in the most desperate ways. It's it's really gotten absurd at this point. And, and and speaking of losing, so flip over to the article I pulled on companies backing out of U.S. wind projects. So, um, again, I'm just going to read just a very short bit from this to show the other side of things. Uh, so opposition to wind projects on land and offshore continues to increase worldwide due to economic, environmental health and safety issues associated with them. Some world leaders have already given up on them and some climate groups have as well. Even though the Biden administration continues to push controversial wind projects, a growing number of developers seem to be throwing in the towel. So what's happening is, uh, if we scroll down, financially the industry is teetering with a parade of companies planning to renegotiate or pull out of contracts, jeopardizing plans for projects that were expected to provide electricity for millions of homes. Inflation is erasing profits, causing some of the largest energy firms in the world to back away. Returns on offshore wind are becoming more and more challenged, Shell CEO stated, not even going to try and pronounce the name, last month, just days after a Shell joint venture said it would pull out of a power contract in Massachusetts. Shell won't build renewable projects that can't earn initial returns of 6 to 8%, he said. So there's at least eight multinational companies in three states that have quietly started to back out of wind contracts or ask to renegotiate deals in ways that will pass more costs on to consumers. But, you know, we always hear clean energy, more affordable. So you've got Shell, BP, Denmark's Orsted, Norway's Equinor. I'm going to butcher these names. Spain's Iberdrola, Portugal's Ener. Oh, my gosh. Ed. <laughs> Reasons for me are so much better at pronouncing. <laughs> Energias de Portugal and France's Engie. And state-owned Electricite de France. De France. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's happening too. And we don't, we don't, you know, we never really, a lot of people anyways, don't pay attention to that end of things. But it's funny 
teetering is a perfect word for this because these people in order to pull off what they're pulling off are having to it's funny it's funny to watch because they're crashing their own plans which is why the un is so far you know they're so far behind in their goals because they have to escalate something in one hand in order to get some agenda through, but then it hurts another agenda over here. So then they got to backpedal and then they got to shift things. And so it's, it's quite a balance. <coughs> They're having to pull Excuse off. Me. So. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I took a drink of water. I went down the wrong, the wrong. Oh, way. I hate that. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean so to the, cut your point off. No, there. that's fine. That's fine. The only yeah. other thing, um, I just one of the things I wanted to show here before I go into the um, the UN one is if you flip to the electric cars. So we talked about this last week, how they're pushing this really hard and how electric car sales have increased 55 percent. So if anyone's interested, they can go to Inside EVs and look up U.S. electric car prices cheapest to most expensive. So this is the 2023 that just published in June. And we've already got um, roughly 50 models out there with over 200 individual configurations. And if you scroll down and look at this list, they list them by the lowest price to the most expensive. And of course, they're pushing hard on the federal tax credits because they just want everyone in EVs because it's so, think how easy it would be when we have electric charging stations and we decide you know, we're not going to do a blackout on you, but instead you're not going to get to go anywhere, but don't worry, you'll be in the comfort of your own home and air conditioning, but you can't go anywhere because we just shut down every single charging station in your city. So you're screwed or you're, you know, or we have curfews now or whatever, you know, you, you can't drive a car unless you have four people in it. But I mean, just look at all of these and they're not cheap. I mean, you've got maybe, no. maybe uh, what do we got? Two in the twelve. Well, we're going to call the first one 20. You got three in the 20s and then immediately jumps up 30s, 40s, 50s, and on and on it goes. And, yeah. you know, but it's going to be so much more affordable and convenient. And yes, you will get more gas mileage. And I get it. And I think the hybrids are pretty smart. But unfortunately, the globalists running this world or trying to run this world are going to use it against us. So it's no longer enticing. Yeah, on the electric vehicle front, yeah, I see a, a lot of ways of how it could be centrally controlled, like you just said, with the um, charging stations. You know, what happens if you're only given access to charging? If, if we ramp up the EVs, mm -hmm. then the infrastructure to charge those EVs has to also be ramped up simultaneously. Otherwise, you have like the 70s, you know, gas lines, you know, standing in line for to charge your car. Right. Um, you know, and so I could see how it could absolutely <laughs> that just, control. That just brought your... back a really funny memory. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid there would be these days it was like once a week or once a month or something where the gas station would drop down to and i don't remember the price but it was like penny it was super cheap per gallon they would have these like massive sales and the lines would go out into the roads mm -hmm. i know i'm older than you so you probably maybe didn't have that going on but <laughs> well yeah Anyways, i mean we go ahead <laughs> We've had gas lines even more recently because of the pr gas prices, gas shortages, you know, right. you name it. 
But, um, you know, going back to electric vehicles, you can be damn sure that there's going to be, you know, lines for charging um, if everybody goes out to buy an electric vehicle with the promise of and, saving money. But they're going to be how long sitting in those lines charge? for hours. Do you know how long it takes to charge? I honestly don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't really looked into it. I can't imagine it's as fast as filling up with gas. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but yeah, I can see how, you know, you could control that by, you know, limiting the number of charging stations. And right. so they're, thereby discouraging people from traveling, mm-hmm. um, you know, Absolutely. once they're locked into it. So um, there's, but there's a number, a number of ways it can be controlled. Your travel could be controlled. I mean, all of the current yeah. cars have chips in them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to be able to go back to the days of when cars were just really easy for ourselves to be able to fix on our own, you know, yeah. um, but even now the, everything's electronic. Everything's got a computer interface and everything the can be electronically system. turned off. Like how I, I think it's at least like maybe half the country has like the easy pass and the iPass and all those different passes for the toll system. You know, they've got the cameras They're they're um shooting uh which i've i've actually recently gotten where you've got the you get the photo of your license plate and say you missed this toll and now there's fines and so there's there's so many ways yeah and this definitely plays into it i definitely think that um it's it's not as much about the the gas as it is more about the control factor um of being uh, of the electric cars right yeah every time they build a new industry that's an industry we want to boycott (laughs) (laughs) right right bottom line even though admittedly you know with gas prices up you know obviously there's some savings there but what are you trading in return i guess right do you want to sacrifice for for the benefit to you know to to have freedom or do you want to make the sacrifices they're asking for to lose your freedom that's the difference yeah yeah so all right, right. i want to just quickly cruise through this un deal before um you move on to the next thing because this is another thing we need to keep our eyes on because they're starting this whole new initiative and in funding but the way this starts out is brilliant. So the UN on Wednesday launched an initiative for accelerated transformation in food systems. And here's my favorite part. According to development indicators, almost half of the SDG targets are moderately or severely off track and 37% are showing no change. Woo. So transforming our food systems is one key to getting the world back on track and reversing these worrying trends. Adequate funding remains a major obstacle of countries to improve their food systems and ensure everyone can access nutritious diets that I'm sure will be the RX ones we've been talking about. So they announced this launch of a new initiative, the Joint SDG Funds Window on Food Systems which will bring to life an investment strategy in food systems and catalyze the rapid and system-wide action needed for food system transformation under the UN Food Systems Hub. So just a couple other notes. I just want to read the bottom of this because I find this interesting and you know, my brain's starting to work on where this is going to go as well. 
Deputy Secretary General spoke at an event on the use of space technology for transforming agri-food systems, saying that the profound changes underway in outer space, especially our growing access and use of low Earth orbit, can become game changers for the 2030 agenda. If we can effectively harness its potential, space technology could become among the most significant new technologies for agriculture and agri-food systems, and ultimately lead to more sustainable, resilient, and efficient agri-food systems. Space technologies are already increasing the productivity and efficiency of farms, and as, if fully utilized, they can help farmers increase yields by more than 10%, according to estimates. Space solutions can also cut down costs by up to 20%, including fertilizers, fuel, and pesticides, protecting land from degradation, improving soil quality, and contributing to climate action through a more sustainable use of Earth's natural resources. So what do you think about that, Edge? <laughs> Strange. How exactly are they planning to use space technology for farming? I don't know. Is this I about was, like greenhouses, to... making big greenhouses where they pump in certain nutrients and air and... CO2. I think some of is... it has to do with data and satellite and whatnot, but honestly, I haven't had time to really dig into it. I just ah. found, this, uh, I found this interesting, so I wanted to bring it to people's attention and to keep out eye out on this whole new uh, funding initiative to push the UN Food Systems Hub, which we've talked about the food hubs in the past, and I know Elsa's covered the food hubs quite a bit too. But yeah, I love the fact that they're way behind on their goals and they keep having to admit that. Yeah, 37% <laughs> are showing no change. And that's why <laughs> Gutierrez had to announce that the earth was literally boiling right exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so the more dramatic they get is because they're losing the they're losing control. They're losing control of the narrative. They've pushed so many agendas that it's screwing with some of their other agendas and they're finding it hard to balance that and backpedal from that. So, you know, I mean, and push inflation as hard as you want, but that's going to hurt some of your agendas like we're seeing with the wind and solar. Right, so right. I mean, Corey, who would have thought that when you bring the economy to a screeching halt and you stop <laughs> the use of oil, which basically drives the entire economy, that it would mm -hmm. actually hurt uh, every sector, including your precious little climate change sector, right. which is, you know, with wind turbines. <laughs> That's right. Like companies aren't going to invest in that crap. That was only stuff that they invested in when they had money. Now they're just yep. trying to stay alive. Yeah. See what they've done to themselves. It's great. Self-destruction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. So I'm going to whiz through a few house hearing highlights from this week. We had several hearings in the house on a range of topics from the border crisis and child trafficking to ufos and the dangers of gender affirming care um, the people really have lost faith at this point um, not just in our federal agencies but also in congress's ability to enact change so i get it when you're like uh house hearings what do those do but at the very least, we get some disclosures th through these hearings that help to shift the narrative. Um, so on the border, um, Congress grilled both DHS's Mayorkas and HHS's Becerra, who have enabled really millions of people to flood through the border and at least 85,000 children to go missing and turned into slavery into the hands of their abusers. Um, so this is uh, Representative uh, Comac, 
and she illustrated how migrants are required by the cartels to wear a colored wristband when they cross Ooh. the border. And these wristbands indicate which cartel they belong to and Wow. how much was paid to the smuggler uh, to smuggle them. And it shows who these migrants are enslaved to when they reach the U.S. And if they don't wear these wristbands, they get a limb cut off. And Wow. then, yeah. And then Kamek went on to describe this little girl that she personally encountered at the border who was being trafficked by a criminal sex offender. Like they, she Oh. literally witnessed this. Um, and then she went on to explain how this has happened to 85,000 children who are Disgusting. now missing and enslaved by the cartels. And the DHS and HHS, they only perform DNA tests on 9% of the adult sponsors to verify Wow. that they're related to the child, like that little girl that was uh, caught at the border with a freaking sex offender. Wow. And less than 23% of the adult sponsors of these children crossing the border are subjected to background checks to see if they're cartel members or sex offenders. It's sickening. Uh, it's So the very sickening. bottom line here is that Biden has, state, has a state-sanctioned child trafficking operation. And Yeah. it's got to stop. And part of that is by um, raising awareness through, you know, these house hearings, through this, you know, podcast and other um, ways of getting this information out there. Because I don't think people realize how freaking vast this child trafficking operation is. Right. Wow. Sick. That is disturbing. Very disturbing. And of course, now that this is going to get out there, the whole bracelet thing will change and they'll come up with something else. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're constantly Mm -hmm. changing their tactics. Yeah. But the House hearing that got the most headlines this week was, of Of course, course. the one on the UFOs. And, um, you know, it, it did provide some good distraction while Hunter's plea deal was falling apart in court. <laughs> yep. So, um, but I'm going to say just up front, I don't trust the motives of Nope. this so-called whistleblower, Mr. Grush. I'm okay with the other two guys. Uh, Mr. Grush in particular, I don't trust the motives. Uh, the fact that he got authorization from the DOD to disclose this information is telling. I mean, it makes it seem more like he's
uh, don't like his energy, don't trust him as far as I could throw him, and don't believe anything that comes out of his mouth. So, yep, yep. I yep, think I, this was just massive distraction. I hear what you're saying on that. One thing they did talk about was interdimensional beings rather than aliens from space, which I oh. personally hold a certain religious belief about what those interdimensional beings <laughs> actually are. But again, I digress. Um, the clip that I wanted to um, play for you isn't about really any of this alien stuff at all. It's actually about the, how the Pentagon has been stealing trillions of dollars from us to fund off the books advanced technologies. All right. So I want you to hear this, even though it's from Grush, and tell me your thoughts. Okay. Mr. Grush, as a result of your previous government work, have you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself about ATs, advanced technologies that the U.S. government has? Uh, based on uh, conventional uh, advanced tech, I was briefed to uh, the preponderance of the defense departments, both space and aerospace department of programs, yeah. Do you have knowledge or do you have reason to believe that there are programs in the advanced tech space that are unsanctioned? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And, and when you say that they're above congressional oversight, what do you mean? A uh, complicated question. Uh, so there's, you know, some, I would call it abuse here. So congressional oversight of conventional spe special access programs, and I'll use Title 10, so DOD as an example, right? So 10 U.S. Code Section 119 discusses congressional oversight of SAPs, discusses uh, the, the DEPSECDEF's ability to waive congressional reporting. However, the Gang of Eight is at least supposed to be notified if a, you know, a waived or waived bigoted unacknowledged SAP is uh, created, and that's public law. Well, so that how does, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but yeah. how does a program like that get funded? I will give you generalities. I can get very specific in a closed session, uh, but a mis misappropriation of funds and uh, does that mean that Does that mean that there is money in the budget that is said to go to a program, but it doesn't, and it goes to something else? Yes, I have specific knowledge of that. Yep. Do you think U.S. corporations are over overcharging for certain tech they're selling to the U.S. government, and that additional money is going to programs? Correct, through something called IRAD. Okay. Mr. Grush, is it... Yeah, so I haven't seen that clip. Right, um, yeah. That's that's not the one that made the headlines. You know, right. um, <laughs> of the, course. the aliens and the crash, the crash spacecraft did. Right. Um, yeah, but I do think that there's truth to this. Uh, here's how it works. There's a program called IRAD, okay, um, mm -hmm. Independent Research and Development, and so with this program through IRAD, through IRAD, the Pentagon allows contractors, big contractors like Lockheed, to overcharge for everything across the board so that that extra funding can be siphoned off to pay for off-the-books advanced technology products that the Pentagon doesn't want Congress to know about. Mm -hmm. So that explains a lot about, you know, we hear time and time again that military contractors overcharge the DOD for things like a $52,000 trash can. Right. I mean, it's not a $52,000 trash can. What Lockheed and all these other contractors are doing is that they're um, charging 
$52,000 per trash can because that funding is actually going off to secret programs that we're not allowed to know about that Congress isn't even allowed to know about. Well, but we're so, paying for it. So one of the things that crosses my mind though, if they were overcharging, technically that would be documented on the books because we mm -hmm. wouldn't know what it was for necessarily, or we think it's all going to this, but it's still going to be documented so that in an audit, it, it will still show that all the money went to this contractor or that contractor, for example. But we have, what is it? Is it like 22 trillion or something missing dollars that's uh -huh. totally unaccounted for? Uh-huh. I was just getting this, to that. <laughs> whereas this would be accounted for, even though we wouldn't really know what it was going to. Right. So, right. This is on top of the missing. I mean, so the DOD has, you know, failed its fifth consecutive audit. And right. um, I think that that's because they don't want um, any oversight from Congress on how they've been funneling money to these contractors. And the other thing that they talked about in that hearing was how um, congress con congressional oversight was being withheld by not just people in the Pentagon, but people in charge outside of the government. So like mm -hmm. these contractors are really part of the shadow government. That was a discussion in this congressional hearing. And they have um, authority over what Congress is able to do. Tell it's me how insane. screwed up that is. It, yeah, it's insane. Insane. But yeah. so in my opinion, what he said is nothing new, nothing we didn't already know. Um, there's been missing trillions for a long time. We know they're using it for nefarious means. They're going to, in this way, they're going to make it sound like, oh, but it's used for the better good. It's used for the protection of our country. No, I mean, here's here's the truth of it is that, you know, that we, we're dealing with a weaponized government, a weaponized mm -hmm. federal government um, that's been weaponized against it, its own people. Yeah. And so how many of these secret advanced technologies that we've been paying for are going to be turned against us? That's the right. real question. And how many of <laughs> yeah. these how many of these so-called UFOs or whatever um are actually, you know, advanced tech that we've been funding for a long time. Right. Um so, you know, I I I'm sure people have varying opinions on on all of that alien stuff, but Right. Yeah, I have to um, take take that kind of disclosure with a giant grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> More than a grain, like a slab of salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. all right. So, so, I mean, I, you know, look, it would be really naive to think there's not life on other planets. And, um, but the bottom line is anything that comes out of these people's mouths is in my opinion, misdirection, unverifiable, it, it's not evidence for me. So yeah. yeah, I hear what you're saying. All right. So the, moving on to the last hearing that I wanted to cover this week, um, I just wanted to highlight this one because um, I thought I'd play a compelling testimony. This was um, a house hearing on dangers of gender affirming care. And people like this, Chloe Cole, detransitioner, um, have been silenced by everyone, by people who on the left who now think that she's a traitor 
for um, speaking out against transitioning uh, by social media, by everyone. And so um, just wanted to give Chloe Cole a platform to talk about, you know, her experience, um, because this is a really powerful statement she made pleading for public policy to stop the mutilation and sterilization of children and needs to be shared. Yeah, I'd like to see it. I haven't seen this yet. So definitely roll it. My name is Chloe Cole, and I'm a detransitioner. Another way to put that would be, I used to believe that I was born in the wrong body. And the adults in my life, whom I trusted, affirmed my belief, and this caused me lifelong irreversible harm. I speak to you today as a victim of one of the biggest medical scandals in the history of the United States of America. I speak to you in the hope that you will have the courage to bring the scandal to an end and ensure that other vulnerable teenagers, children, and young adults don't go through what I went through. At the age of 12, I began to experience what my medical team would later diagnose as gender dysphoria. I was well into an early puberty, and I was very uncomfortable with the changes that were happening to my body. I was, intimida I was intimidated by male tension, and when I told my parents that I felt like a boy, in retrospect, all I meant was that I hated puberty, that I wanted this newfound sexual tension to go away, that I looked up to my brothers a little bit more than I did to my sisters. I came out as transgender in a letter I sent on the dining room table. My parents were immediately concerned. They felt like they needed to get outside help from medical professionals, but this proved to be a mistake. It immediately set our entire family down a path of ideologically motivated deceit and coercion. The gender specialist I was taken to, taken to see told my parents that I needed to be put on puberty-blocking drugs right away. They asked my parents a simple question. Would you rather have a dead daughter or a living transgender son? The choice was enough for my parents to let their guard down, and in retrospect, I can't blame them. This was the moment that we all became victims of so-called gender-affirming care. I was fast-tracked onto puberty blockers and then testosterone. The resulting menopausal-like hot flashes made focusing on school impossible. I still get joint pains and weird pops in my back, but they were far worse when I was on the blockers. A month later, when I was 13, I had my first testosterone injection. It's caused permanent changes to my body. My voice will forever be deeper, my jawline sharper, my nose longer, my bone structure um, permanently masculinized, my Adam's apple more prominent, my fertility unknown. I look in the mirror sometimes and I feel like a monster. I had a double mastectomy at 15. They tested my amputated breast for cancer. And I was cancer free, of course. I was perfectly healthy. There was nothing wrong with my still developing body or my breasts other than that as an insecure teenage girl. I felt awkward about it. After my breasts were taken away from me, the tissue was incinerated. Before I was able to legally drive, I had, part, I had a huge part of my future womanhood taken from me. I will never be able to breastfeed. I struggle to look at myself in the mirror at times. I, 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 still, I still struggle to this day with sexual dysfunction. And I have massive scars across my chest. And the skin grafts that they use, that they took of my nipples, are weeping fluid today. And they were grafted into a more masculine positioning, they said. After surgery, my grades in school plummeted. Everything that I went through did nothing to address my underlying mental health issues that I had. And my doctors, with their theories on gender, 
thought that all my problems would go away as soon as I was surgically transformed into something that vaguely resembled a boy. Their theories were wrong. The drugs and surgeries changed my body, but they did not and could not change the basic reality that I am and forever will be a female. When my specialists first told my parents that they could have a dead daughter or a live transgender son, I wasn't suicidal. I was a happy child who struggled because she was different. However, at 16, after my surgery, I did become suicidal. I'm doing better now. But my parents almost got the dead daughter promised to them by my doctors. My doctors had almost created the very nightmare they said they were trying to avoid. So what message do I want to bring to American teenagers and their families? I didn't need to be lied to. I needed compassion. I needed to be loved. I needed to be given therapy to help me work through my issues, not affirm to my delusion that by transforming into a boy, it would solve all my problems. We need to stop telling 12-year-olds that they were born wrong, that they are right to reject their own bodies and feel uncomfortable with their own skin. We need to stop telling children that puberty is an option, that they can choose what kind of puberty they will go through, just so they can choose what clothes to wear or what music to listen to. Puberty is a rite of passage to adulthood, not a disease to be mitigated. Today, I should be at home with my family celebrating my 19th birthday, and instead I'm making a desperate plea to my elected, my elected representatives, learn the lessons from other medical scandals like the opioid crisis, to recognize that doctors are human too, and sometimes they are wrong. My childhood was ruined along with thousands of detransitioners that I know through our networks. This needs to stop. You alone can stop it. Enough children have already been victimized by this barbaric pseudoscience. Please let me be your final warning. Thank you. Wow, that was powerful. Whew. I'm glad you played that. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, powerful, powerful stuff um, and needs to be shared because uh, I think that she is such a important testimony. Her story is such an important testimony to get people to wake up. Absolutely. All right. Wow. L last thing I wanted to wrap up on is Hunter Biden's shady plea deal. Did you hear about this this week? vaguely that he got off on some charges but then they're talking about some other one just so they can thread people along <laughs> that will go nowhere i mean that's all i needed to hear is that but there's still this i'm like but nothing yeah yeah Sorry. so hunter's <laughs> shady plea deal has been falling apart this week before but before they even went to court this week hunter's slimy bong smoking lawyers tried to pose as someone else and get an amicus brief withdrawn in the case. The amicus brief was filed by the House Oversight Committee regarding the IRS whistleblower's evidence of Hunter's crimes. And Hunter's lawyers posed as someone representing the House Oversight's legal team to get it withdrawn. <laughs> and the judge caught them. <laughs> that was I, even... I missed that part. <laughs> yes, they got caught. And then so they went into court this was, you know, before the shit show in court started. Then in court this week, the judge delayed the shady plea deal that tried to give Hunter immunity for other crimes, including that felony gun charge, but as well as immunity from charges 
for money laundering and future charges for money laundering, failing to register as a foreign agent. I mean, because the prosecutors were forced to admit in court that there's actually a separate ongoing investigation of Hunter's crimes involving money laundering and acting as a foreign agent. And the judge was like, hey, have you guys ever seen a plea deal like this? (laughs) (laughs) Which is so broad, it encompasses crimes in another ongoing case. Uh, And so she wasn't buying it. And she accused both of the sides of wanting her to rubber stamp the deal. This is a a Trump appointed judge. So um, now it's back to the drawing board. Hunter's plea deal will have to be reworked to exclude certain immunities from future charges. And that may be happening over the course of a few weeks. But really, the um, the takeaway here is there is a separate ongoing investigation for some of those more serious charges, uh, including uh, being a foreign agent and money laundering, of which um, there may be additional charges and he may not have immunity for. And so a slap on the wrist and no jail time? I mean, I'm just thinking ahead. <laughs> um, not necessarily, because she's talking about not even immunity for the gun charge, the felony gun charge mm. uh, that they struck in the plea deal. So, um, okay, well, we'll yeah, see what we'll happens. See, we'll see what they work out in the next com- few weeks. But he's not off the hook yet. He's not off the hook yet. In fact, uh, Biden's lawyer or one of, you know, his Joe Biden's lawyers mm-hmm. um, kind of stepped into the courtroom and was whispering things oh, um, yeah. like he had like he had to uh, kind of uh, jump in because now it's like, shit, this isn't going our way. Um, we're going to have to bring the big guns in. Um, to try to get this this worked out and so joe biden's legal guy is kind of working his way into this hunter biden deal now Hmm. interesting (laughs) yeah Uh, the lots of info on this one we definitely went over but i think it was needed there was just so much info to get out yeah, yeah. Big week this week. And I'm sure things will only continue to get wilder as we move right. through the rest of this year and into 2024. So, Crazy. yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us today on Dig It. Please be sure to share this podcast. We are on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. No longer on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe to our other platforms. And we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It.